This is Darrell Alia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 43. Out! Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now, your host, DeRay Olalaye. Welcome back to the Before the Millions podcast. I'm excited to have you here. And if this is your first time tuning in, then welcome to the Before the Millions podcast. And you need to definitely go through the whole back catalog and listen to every single episode. In fact, I actually just got a selfie, a BTM selfie. Shout out to Cliff from Silicon Valley. He's a software engineer at LinkedIn, and he is currently binging on the Before the Men's podcast. He is the listener that sent in the BTM selfie, which is pretty awesome. And if you guys want to see it, it's uh, on my social media, which is pretty easy to find. So there you have it. BTM selfie is a thing. So again, if you are a new listener and you want to create the lifestyle of your dreams and you believe that real estate is the vehicle to help you do that, I highly recommend that you listen to my podcast and all the podcasts that are right up this alley because it's a wealth of knowledge and it's free. I got an email the other day from a listener and the email goes like this. Hi, Dore. I'm so excited to have found your podcast about a month ago. My significant other vaguely mentioned real estate as a career path last year when we had an in-depth talk about how we wanted our future to look. I immediately told him that he should become a real estate agent first, and he boldly rejected my advice. He just didn't feel like he needed to be. After a bit of digging around on the internet and all the terms he threw around about buying buildings and creating residual income, I finally concluded that he specifically meant that he wanted to get into real estate investing. We just had no clue what it was called or that so many people were living a life of financial freedom. We want the money, but more importantly, we are ready to reclaim our time. I jumped in right away and found your podcast as well as the Bigger Pockets website, both of which I now obsess over daily. I am proud to say that I bought each of us copies of the Rich Dad Poor Dad book and our self-education will start this week. I'm currently a registered nurse, and she talks about what she does and what her significant other does full-time, and they plan on getting married soon, and they plan on having kids, and they believe that it would be great for them to get into real estate investing full-time as soon as possible. So that's their plan, because they stumbled upon this podcast, guys. They had this yearning desire, the same that I did. And I was in a similar situation. I had no idea people were living this lifestyle. I had no idea there was a whole other world out there. I mean, I thought I did. 
I thought I understood that there was a world out there in which people were, you know, living a passive income cash flow lifestyle, but I didn't really understand that it was possible for me. So I totally relate to this. And I'm glad that, you know, this listener was able to share this. I hope that we're able to touch a lot more lives and we're able to kind of uh, peel the onion back on this fascinating, fascinating, fascinating concept of financial freedom. So if you know anybody who would be interested, share this podcast with them. I think they'll find it highly beneficial. Anyways, guys, on today's show, we are speaking with Mr. Matt Terrio. Matt is a real estate investor and he has one of those stories, guys. He, He joined the Marine Corps. And then we went on to start a music label, a hip hop music label that did really, really well, guys. When he hit his first, I believe his first seven figure year, that's when the, I guess the quote unquote music bubble kind of happened and things went digital and um, people were running around like chickens with their hair cut off because nobody knew how to monetize in a digital world yet. Of course, these days that's been taken care of, but it took a while. So Matt found himself without a job. He went from this seven-figure earner to, I need a job, and I need a job bad, and there are no jobs out here because it's a recession. So what I'm going to do is find a way to put food on the table. So the only thing that he could find was um, bagging groceries. That's what he did. He started bagging groceries. So he went from the Marines, a hip-hop label, to bagging groceries. And at that point, he realized that something needed to change. That's when he found real estate. That's how he became an investor. And his focus today is passive income. That is his sole primary focus when it comes to his business and the business of the people that he helps is passive income. So we're going to talk about passive income today, guys. I'm going to talk about Matt's story and how to be triumphant, especially when you think that your back is against the wall and there's no other option for you. So without any further ado, guys, Actually, the only ado I'll be furthering is the tip of the week, and then we'll get into the show, I promise. Okay. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So, tip of the week, right? I really, really, really enjoy the mindset aspect of being an entrepreneur or being a real estate investor or any type of investor for that case, for that matter. And I think that the mindset is the foundation of any successful entrepreneur. Many of us think we know what it means to have the right mindset. For the longest, I thought I knew what it meant. I thought I had mastered the art of the right mindset and the abundance mindset and having a positive attitude and you know guts and tenacity and just all the things that you needed to be a successful entrepreneur through all the ups and downs. And I thought I had that. And you know, in hindsight, in a sense, I did. But as of late, I've really realized that that mindset, having that mindset is a daily obligation, is a daily task. You can't go out and read about having the right mindset, create the right mindset in your life by doing whatever it is that you do once you've read that book or once you've listened to that seminar, whatever it is, and think that that's going to be enough to sustain you throughout your business. There has to be a routine. You have to condition your mind every single day. It takes work. You have to feed your mind every single day. Having the right mindset is honestly a full-time job. Creating, cultivating the right mindset is a full-time job. When things are wrong in your investing life, when things are wrong in your business, when things are wrong in your personal life, I want you guys to remember it's not always about what's wrong in your business. In fact, it's not ever about what's wrong in your business. If you think about it, what's wrong at work, what's wrong in your dating life, what's wrong in your business, all of that is really a reflection 
of you, of your mindset. So the tip of the week this week is your business is like a mirror and it mirrors you. How is that? How can that be possible? Think about it this way. If you have a business and your employees are not acting accordingly, they're breaking the rules, they're showing up late, they're not doing their work on time. If you accept that as a reflection of you, maybe how you hire, maybe your teaching style, maybe what you do and how you set an example for them. If you attribute that as a reflection of you rather than blaming them or thinking that the business is, you know, going awry, then you can do something about it. You can change the way you hire. You could hire better employees. You can change your teaching style. You can change the disciplinary actions. There's so many things you can tweak and alter and change. You have ability. You have 100% control when you accept that everything that goes on in your life is a reflection of you, is a reflection of your thoughts, is a reflection of your mindset. If you've been making offers on deals for months on end, nothing's sticking, and you blame it on the business, you say, oh man, this system doesn't work. And you go find another system. You think that's going to help? Because quite honestly, everything works. Almost everything works. You just have to work it either long enough, hard enough, or smart enough to get it to do what you want. But everything works. So either you're going to give up before it works and say it doesn't work, or you're going to work it till it does work. Those are the only two options. But if you allow yourself to think that it's the business or it's the employee or it's the model that's at fault, then you leave yourself with no options. You leave yourself with stagnancy or worse yet, you leave yourself just not really moving forward because you're trying to hold a bunch of different employees or different models or different whatever. And it's just not cutting it because you're not cutting it. Your mindset is not right. So in all things that you do in your life, it's never about that thing. It's never about your business. It's always about you. It's always about your mindset. If you can operate from that point of view, you have 100% control over everything that happens in your life, or at least your reaction to it, your thoughts about it, and what you're going to do about it. The minute you put that in somebody else's hands, the minute you put that in the hands of your business, of an employee, of a boss, of a coworker, you have no control over that. So your business is a reflection of yourself. Your relationships are a reflection of yourself. It's best to opt to have the right mindset, I believe. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. It's a brand new week. We have a brand new guest. He's amazing. He's the founder of Epic Real Estate. His name is Matt Terrio. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Good, Dre. How are you? I'm doing well. I cannot complain. Matt, really, really quick, just want to give the listeners a quick background on what you do, uh, what you're currently focused on, and then we'll do what we always do. We'll dive into the time machine and learn about Matthew way before the real estate investing. So really quick, 10, 20 seconds. Can you give the listeners a context of what you currently do today? Sure. So we're a full-time real estate investing operation in the sense that we go out and we just focus on building passive income through real estate. We do that with rental property and we do it with notes. And we're just sole focus is just passive income, passive income, passive income. And so been doing this for about 11 years. So I've built up a pretty good residual income for myself. And, and now we help busy professionals. We teach them how to do it and actually do it with them and do it for them in some cases and help them uh, experience the same thing. I love that. That's an amazing business model. And I can't wait to kind of get into that and, and your story a little bit more. So let's maybe hop in the time machine, Matt. Let's talk about your younger days, your earlier years. You know, Matthew in college, 
who was that guy and what was he up to? <laughs> so Matthew in college, I had just gotten out of boot camp for the Marine Corps and I had joined the reserves initially. And I was also straddling a little bit of a music career that I had embarked on before college. So I was trying to like manage all three of those things and was doing okay. Wasn't really too excited about college because I was actually making a little bit of money in real estate. But then I had these week, one weekend a month every that I had to go away to the Marine Corps and that got in the way. It's only one weekend a month, but it always seemed to be on the wrong weekend. And, you know, but I was managing. And then this one thing called uh, activation came along, the Desert Storm War. And all of a sudden I was yanked away from everything and went full-time in the Marine Corps and was basically full-time Marine more than I was a reservist. So when I got out, I spent, I resumed my music career, spent the next 15 years or so in the music business, did really well for myself. Had a small little hip hop label, independent label. We had major label distribution. And so we didn't make MTV, we didn't make the radio, but we had a really good underground independent fan base that uh, bought everything we put out. And so it was, a, it was a good living for myself and the three buddies that worked for me. And then one day, this thing called the digital download came along and it turned the whole industry upside down. And at the age of 34, having just experienced a seven figure year doing what I love, found myself in six months bagging groceries for $7 an hour. Oh, and wow. so that's kind of where real estate started. Oh, wow. So before we kind of get into that story, Matt, I'm going to need you to, to possibly give us a freestyle, man. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a beat. And um, uh, I was the music guy. <laughs> I give you the beat is how it works. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Okay. So we can't play that game. Okay. No, we can't play that game. We're not going to find out where, where freestyling talent slide, but um, no, no. Sure that would have made for good pod though. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So you're in the music industry and you're having a time of your life. You're doing what you love. This is your passion. This is where your fulfillment lies. And yep there's problems arise in all markets and problems did arise in that market. And as soon as things went digital, there was a lull for many, many years before we were able to kind of, you know, recover and figure out how we're going to monetize, you know, in this new digital world. So during that time, you were in the crux of it all and you were on the up and up. You had a successful seven figure year and things were looking great for you. A few months later, a few weeks later, things start taking a turn for the worse and you go and you have to find a job working at a grocery store. Tell me how that made you feel, Matt. Oh, it was probably the most humbling experience of my life. You know, cause up to that point, because I can draw this or I can see it really clearly now because I loved it so much and I was actually pretty good at it and people paid me for what I did. It was just a great life. I didn't have to get up and set goals. I didn't have to have a to-do list. I didn't have to have, you know, daily motivation. I didn't have to read books and stuff like that. I, nothing was just life just worked. Right. And because it worked so well, you know, I spent the first large portion of my, I guess the first third of my life, the, my professional working life, just doing what I love and not preparing for anything else. Cause I didn't think anything was ever going to change. So there was no plan B. And when you know, the, the money ran out and we crashed hard in about six months. We were out of business. I was divorced. I was bankrupt. It was terrible. And so I went out to the marketplace. I had to get a resume going and that didn't have a whole lot on it. And the best thing I had going for me was I came out of the, the Marines and I felt very, I don't know, almost worthless, at least the, based on the market's opinion. They had told me what I was worth and was basically nothing. And that's how I ended up bagging groceries. 
And, you know, thank God the supermarkets were on strike at the time. So there was actually an opening even there. So I don't even know what, what I would have done. Yeah, it was a very humbling experience. And it was a good six months of real introspection as far as, you know, I was really bitter. I was angry. I was delusional. I was bewildered. I was, I blamed everybody and everything on where I was at that time. And, you know, because life had been so easy to that point, I was kind of waiting for somebody to just come along and save me. Like, this can't be it. This can't be what life is, has in store for me. This can't be what the rest of it's going to look like. And, you know, it took me a long time to get through that process and, you know, and recover. Wow. So you're at this grocery store, you're a bagger or you're bagging groceries. So you're bagging groceries for a living. That's what, that's what you're doing during the six month period. And all this time, you, you have time to reflect, you have time to maybe think about how your life was and, and maybe reflect on things that you could have done better or should have done better. And, you know, you start to maybe realize that it's not about how much money you were making, but how much you were, you know, in effect able to keep, which was none. So mm-hmm. at that point, which seems like possibly the lowest point in your life. And that's, those are the points where we have the most, uh, I guess we have our aha moments right. or something, something dramatic or some life changing, some shift happens in our life. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes there, there's more so of a trail and you start to build up to different things. But how did it happen for you? What, what was the next, you were bagging groceries for six months. Was there an aha moment? Was there mm. uh, somebody you ran into? Was there a book that you picked up? What happened next? How did you get yourself out of that slump? Got it. Yeah, I was bagging groceries. And there was a very busy day that we had and they were short on checkers. So I got promoted for the day to checker promotion without pay, by the way, (laughs) it is a promotion and responsibility. And I was getting the hang of it. It's not that difficult of a job, but I was just scanning the groceries coming down the conveyor belt and just, I was doing fine. It was no big deal. And then one lady specifically, and I remember it to this day, I think if she walked into this room, I would remember her. That's how, uh, how pivotal of a moment it was. If I told you to imagine, you know, yuppie soccer mom in an affluent area, like you kind of get a picture. I mean, she had her tennis outfit on. She had the, the diamonds and the gold. And, you know, she had a stroller, the, the dual stroller with twins in it. And it was like the thousand dollar stroller. And she was on the phone talking and she was paying me no mind as I'm scanning her groceries. And I came to the end and I told her the total and she opens up her wallet and out of her wallet fell her ATM receipt as she was reaching for her credit card. And I couldn't help but sneak a peek. So I saw the balance. And I remember it was $256,000 in whatever account that was. And it really hit me. It's like, wow. And the reason that that number, that specific amount was significant to me was that when my bank account in the music business hit 250, it was time that signaled a transfer. I thought about, wow, it's been about nine months, almost a year since I've seen that amount in my bank account. And knowing what I'm doing right now, I'm never going to see it again. And that was the big moment. And so after I finished her, I gave her her receipt and I shut my register down and and walked out to the car and I got real religious real fast and uh, just started asking for help. Does someone point the way I'll do whatever it takes. Just tell me what to do. And I really think it was divine intervention because I think I, when I walked back into the store, it was the grocery store manager that was there waiting for me, wondering where I had went. And coincidentally, he was 34 years old managing the grocery store. I was 34 years old bagging. And he noticed that I was, you know, upset. He took me up to his office and we just started talking about it. I told him the whole story, the story I just told you. And he said, you know, Matt, if you really miss your life, if you really want your lifestyle back, real estate, it's the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating real wealth. Those were his words. 
And I've repeated that quote at least a thousand times. I don't know if it was his quote or if it came from somewhere else, but boy, that, that was the light bulb. I was like, wow, if that's created more wealth and it's the final frontier than the average person has of, of creating that wealth, wow, I'm feeling very much below average. So this is probably my best shot. And so that night I took a bottle of wine and went home and it's just the wine, me and Google. And I just started researching everything real estate. And I came across an aunt that I hadn't talked to in 15 years and just by searching real estate and, and uh, she was the number one real estate agent, just two cities over from me. And she had been the number one agent there for 27 years. And out of some drunken courage, cause we were at the end of the bottle, <laughs> I fired off an email and asked her if she wanted to have lunch the next day. And I woke up in the morning and she was so excited to hear from me. She said, of course I had lunch with her that day and I was enrolled in real estate school to get my real estate license. And the, the craziest thing is like when I went back to the grocery store while I was waiting for my date to go to school, the strike was over and they let me go <laughs> on that day. So it was just, it was perfect timing. I think God had just said, divine okay, intervention. Yeah. You <laughs> suffered enough. And this is the direction. So that was the big aha moment. That's amazing. Matt, that's amazing. It's, it's one of those things to where it's at our time of need. Like it's the ninth inning. It's the 11th hour. You know, you think, you know, there's, there's nothing else. You're at the bottom of the bottom and, you know, there's nowhere else to turn. And somehow, some way, the stars align and, and you find your path. And I, and I find that happens so often, so often with entrepreneurs. It's crazy. So, you know, your, your story is very captivating. It's very moving, but the essentials of your story, the key principles of your story are the same in all of our lives. So you start down this path and you don't know what, what's ahead. You don't know what you're going to do. You went to real estate school to get your license. Who knows if you're going to be an investor, if you're going to be a property manager, if you're going to be, of course, you're going to be an agent, but I mean, who knows if that's a long-term goal. So you're going into this big world of, I don't know, mm -hmm. but you're going because I mean, what's the alternative, you know? So right. once you start on this path, what are some of the things that you start picking up? What do you start realizing about the real estate world that, that, that starts to really just captivate you and starts to shift your mindset to what's possible? I've never said this before, but in hindsight, when you ask a real estate agent for advice, you get real estate agent advice. When you ask a real estate investor for advice, that's a totally different answer. And I became a real estate agent because I just thought that was the logical place to start. I didn't know anything. I didn't know any better. I did okay. My first year, I got rookie of the year in that office and I did better each subsequent year. And after about four years, I'd been fortunate to have a really good client. I had a couple of them, but the one in particular, and they were investors and I didn't have to do any work for them. We just hit it off and we drank beer together and they would just fax me. Um, they'd fax me contracts. Here, we want to buy this house, submit the offer. And then they'd say, here, we want to sell this house. Go ahead and list it. Like it was just a really great uh, relationship, right? There was one Saturday morning. It was at we had a meeting at 10.30 a.m. I was all dressed up in a suit and tie ready for them. I had all their, their documents all spread out over the table and they showed up 20 minutes late. They showed up in jeans and a t-shirt. They signed all their documents and they left for the weekend to go enjoy that weekend. And I was stuck there to process their paperwork and go hold their house open. And, I was, and it really hit me right there. This was another very pivotal moment. I was like, wow, if, if real estate is this final frontier where all the wealth is created, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. And I made a decision at that moment. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to give myself 90 days. I'm going to stop representing other people and their purchases and their sales. And I'm going to make this shift to start representing myself on my own behalf, my own purchases and sales. And so in hindsight, the, 
you don't need a license to invest. <laughs> That's one thing. Be cautious of the, the advice, the source of the advice when you ask for it. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot more money to be made if uh, you're representing yourself than you are somebody else. I love that. So why start investing? Why start, why start looking for cash flow rentals rather than flipping? Yeah, well, I, I kind of started because I still didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I did okay. And then we were in a, I was selling houses in an affluent market. So the commissions were really good sized. But I had, I had an expensive lifestyle. So I spent it pretty much as fast as I made it. And when I had to make this shift, I didn't have a whole lot of reserves. So I had to figure out, you know, how am I going to make some money so I can go and, and start holding property and creating passive income. So I did start wholesaling. And I wasn't, uh, I started out representing other people's properties. I going through Craigslist and just having conversations with buyers and sellers and lenders and other investors and, and said, uh, Hey, you got this property here. You know, what are you looking for? What do you need? I need someone to pay me this much for it. I said, great. If I can find somebody that will give you that, will you give me a referral fee? They said, of course, great. I'm going to a meeting tonight. I'm going to go take some flyers and I'm going to go, I'm going to go get the sold for you. So that was a big, big part of my initial business was just selling other people's properties in exchange for a referral fee. And so then I got to a point where I had this formula, I had enough cash in the bank store. I was like, okay, I'm going to flip five and hold one, flip five and hold one. And once I did it a few times, I was like, okay, we got enough money. Let's, let's kind of uh, shorten that cycle. We're going to flip four and hold one, flip four and hold one, then flip three and hold one. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, I just buy everything that I can and hold on to it. And if I don't, then I'll just, I'll get rid of it. I'll dump it. And so that's what my business has looked like for probably the last seven or eight years. Quick question. What would you say is the primary difference between being a realtor and being a wholesaler? It seems like you're still going out to meet sellers and market their properties and you're earning a commission based off that sale. So what would you say is the primary difference? I think there's a big difference. First of all, you're not a service provider, right? The, the big difference is also within the contract. You are the buyer and you are the seller. Um, then agent, all they do is they represent somebody else in the sale or the, the, the purchase of a property. So it's your job. You're out, you're out there to buy low and sell high. A real estate agent doesn't think that way at all. They're just like, how do I get this sold as quickly as possible so I can get my commission check? So I think there's a, a very distinct difference there. The other probably big difference is real estate agents are, per their broker, they're kind of restricted to operate in a box. You know, you, you go out and you hold an open house. You find a buyer, you make a connection, you get them pre-qualified with your lender. And then once they're pre-qualified, now they've got the right to get in your, your car and then you show them houses on the weekends, right? So that's the box that they operate in. And if you, you got to use their, the, the state approved contract and there's lots of regulations and the contract is, you know, like nine pages too long. And so with being a real estate investor, and unless you've done any investing, if you are an agent and you're listening right now, there's a whole other world that you don't know about and a whole other world that your broker keeps telling you is illegal and people are going to jail. And I do it every day for the last seven or eight years and I haven't been to jail ever. And I, I couldn't do those. And we still go through title. Everything is per the, the law uh, and the regulations and, and the, the uh, policies of that state, that county that are in our federal government. It's like, if it was illegal, they wouldn't allow me to do it. So if that's another part. There's, there's a lot of creative ways to go ahead and, and get involved in properties other than just that small little box that agents operate in. I love that. And yes, there is a big misconception out there that wholesaling is illegal. There's something weird about wholesaling that doesn't sit right with a lot of people. And I'm glad you know, you're kind of able to kind of shift the mindset and, and kind of debunk that myth that wholesaling, you know, what do you think brings on that stigma? Well, the National Association of Realtors is probably one of the, the bigger lobbyer, lobbyist groups in the country. 
they got a lot of power and they see wholesaling as stealing business from the real estate agents. And so they are trying to interfere and say, you are representing somebody else. And per the contract, there is no representation going on whatsoever. So they're fighting that and they're actually making some leeway. They're making, they're making some progress. You know, the, just the assignment of contracts where they really get you, where they really have their argument and they can look in their super, super, super fine print is that once you have that contract or you're under contract with that seller, it's the advertising and the promotion of that contract is where they have the issue. So if you have your own buyer's list, they, they couldn't touch you because you're not breaking any laws. But the, that gray area that they like to fight and argue within is in the promotion of that contract once you have it. So they don't want you representing a property that you don't own. That makes perfect sense. And this is a great way. This is a great time to kind of segue into the, the meat and potatoes of our show. We want to talk about, you know, how to find these deals. You know, let's say you may want to get into investing by wholesaling, or you may just want to get into investing in general. And you're looking for, you know, I'm of the thought that you can't find a deal. There's no such thing as looking for a deal. You can't there. You can't go out, especially in today's market. You can't go out there and find a deal you create opportunity, you create a deal. Every single property out there, unless it's negative, which every single property out there can potentially be a deal. So you're not going to look for a deal. You're going to create a deal. You're going to solve a problem. You're going to foster relationships. So in that situation, Matt, what are we doing when we're, when we're looking for, when we're looking for motivated sellers to create opportunity, to create a deal, how do we find these motivated sellers? Okay. The motivated sellers, first of all, of all the real estate that's sold in the country, 95% of that real estate that is sold is sold by people that want to sell. And in most respects, there's, you can't say the right thing to that unmotivated person to get a discount in most regards or most aspects. But the 5% that are the properties that are sold, these are by the people that need to sell. And they need to sell because there's some sort of distress going on in their life. They've got, you know, they've got financial distress, they've got personal distress, or the property itself is in some sort of distress. They got to sell. By the selling of that property, most of the time where that motivation comes from is it's going to alleviate some other problem that's going on in their life. So my philosophy is to look for the problems and the profit will follow. So you're looking for absentee owners. And absentee owners, some of them are absentee on purpose. Some of them are absentee on accident. And if you've been a landlord for any, any length of time, you know that sometimes it's not that easy. Like it's a pain in the ass sometimes and you want to you dump a property. Or if you're a, you've inherited a property or it was your primary residence that you couldn't sell and now you're having trouble affording both houses that you're living in or the, the one that you previously owned and the one you're living in, that creates some sort of distress. So that's an absentee owner. So that's a really good start. But when you can start stacking additional problems on top of that absentee owner quality or characteristic, you know, you can find motivation pretty quickly, like, you know, with code violations for the absentee owners or uh, tax liens for the absentee owners or their house is actually vacant or it's been burned or they got weed abatement it, uh, issues on it. So all of those different types of things, we're, we're just looking for problems and it's not a hundred percent. You're just looking for the ones that, that are some, a lot of people go ahead and they come current on their payments. They, they go ahead and they, come current on their tax delinquency and, but a lot of them don't and they would rather just not deal with it. So that's who we're looking for when we're finding a motivated seller. So if we're looking for these problems to solve, such as code violations and tax liens, where do we start looking? Where do we begin our journey to find these properties with these motivated sellers in which, you know, there are violations and there are liens and, you know, where do we, are we looking for a list? Are we, are we door knocking? What are we doing? 
Yes, all of that. <laughs> so there's two ways to really find them. And certainly you need a list because it's a numbers game. So you need a, a good size list. There's two ways you can go about it. Much of this information is free or almost free. If you just go down to your corny, uh, county courthouse or your city courthouse and you can mine the, the database. It's all public information. Notice the defaults are there. The tax liens are there. The code violations are there. All that stuff is there. There's probate there. There's there's everything's there. It's, and you can essentially get it for free if you want to put in the time. Now, if you don't have the time or don't want to do that, because it's not the most fun work, I recommend everybody do it at least once and get the experience. But you can go Google. is like everybody's best friend, right? You can always find an answer on Google. And just type in list sources or list providers or marketing lists. And you're going to get pages and pages and pages of companies that you just tell them what you want. And you can just buy it straight from them. So those are the two ways that you can uh, pull a list. As an investor, especially as a, as a successful investor, Matt, I'm sure that you are of the abundance mindset, but let's maybe still ask the question because I know a lot of listeners may have this question. You know, Matt, a lot of people get their hands on these lists. These lists are recycled. These lists are outdated. These lists are being sold to tons of people. What's going to make me any different if I go and pick up a list and I go scrub the list and I go start marketing to them and these people are receiving yellow letters or receiving 10, 20, 30 from all these people? I mean, it's almost like a saturated market. How, why, you know, how is, is it really possible for me to get my first investment property by, by this method? Oh, absolutely. A couple things that I, I don't know if I'm going to get this in the right sequence, but I'm going to tell you what immediately came to mind. First thing, most people aren't doing as much work as you think they are. And they're not doing as consistently as you think they are. So bet on that. that. That's a pretty safe bet. Consistency wins in this business. So it wins when you're competing against your competition or the other investors in the area. And consistency also wins because with that kind of direct mail strategy, and it still produces more deals for us than any other of our strategies. It's Yes, it's a numbers game, but it's also a timing game. And this is where consistency comes into play and makes that a success as well is that you have to have them open their mailbox on the day that they're just fed up and they see your card. That's the timing that you have to get. And if you got that timing this month, or if you missed it this month, you might get it next month. Because an absentee owner doesn't mean they're going to sell as soon as they've been identified as an absentee owner. They've been absentee owners probably for a length of time and they probably be absentee owners for a little while longer. They just got it. The timing has to be right where your message, your solution shows up in their mailbox and they're like, hmm. Yeah, let's give this guy a call. Let's see, let's see what this is all about. So with all that said, consistency. Consistency wins everything, beats everything. One last question in this arena. So let's say that you know you do find a list and you script the list and, and you find an owner and you're you're sending out, you know, mailings to this owner. Are there any other marketing tactics that you're using to pursue this same owner? Like are you making phone calls? Are you running Facebook ads? Like what, what are some other things to, to, that you're doing to kind of get in front of these same owners? Right. So what we do, like there, there's still, when it comes to making phone calls and, and reaching out to people directly, you still have this thing called, and a lot of people don't talk about it anymore, but it's still an issue, is the do not call list. So your way around that is, is to send this mailing and use a call capture service. So when they call, you, you actually capture their phone number. And the law is, and I'm not a lawyer, and you might want to look this up and confirm it, but I'm sticking by it. If someone calls you first, you have 90 days to follow up with them legally. So that's one way around, around the call. And that's how we call people. We put out uh, marketing materials when we promote our solutions that inspire them to call us. And once they call us, now we follow up. And we follow up with email. We follow up with voice broadcast. We follow up with text broadcast. We continue to send them direct mail. 
And so that's how we, we follow up and we, we generate a lot of leads in that follow-up. We spent a lot of money on that lead, right? And so just because they said no today doesn't mean it's a no tomorrow. We get deals frequently on a postcard that we sent a year ago. It's not uncommon at all. It doesn't happen every day, but it's not uncommon. The fortune there, it's definitely in the follow-up. The other ways that we, we go about it, uh, the internet is just a gold mine of information. It has an expense to it, but you know, through pay-per-click, you can target very specific groups of people. Uh, the Facebook ads, their targeting is amazing and you can drive leads that way. And the, the, the Facebook ads are much cheaper than the Google pay-per-clicks. We do other strategies where we'll go through, we've got like, I think 25 different for sale by owner sites that we go through and we just fire off different types of emails to them that inspire them to reach out to us and we create conversations that way. We go through property management websites and we pull the title reports on all the vacant houses that they're representing. So we can customize a letter that's really specific to that landlord's situation. Hey, I know you probably got involved in this because you wanted passive income and you probably just spent a lot of money to get this, this, this property ready to, to rent again. I don't know if this is your first time being vacant or, your, or maybe it's your last time being vacant, but would you be open to an offer that uh, would pay you very close to the same cash flow you were expecting if you didn't have to deal with all the property management headaches. So that's, a, that's another strategy that we do. And we actually send them a blind offer that way. So those are a bunch of different strategies. We still mine Craigslist. There's a lot of trash that we threw on there, but still real people go there and real people are trying to get stuff done there. So we go through that and we do a number of different online classifieds. Yeah. So we do, we do a ton of stuff. That's amazing. I don't know how robust the, your systems are, but I can imagine how hard it would be to track where exactly your leads are coming from all the time with all these different yeah. uh, methods that you're using. But, you know, it sounds like what you're saying is your most beneficial uh, lead magnet, uh, quote unquote, is, is still direct mailing. It's still old school. It's still, you know, get, sending out yellow letters or, or postcards. Would you, would you agree? Yes, it is losing its impact because like you said, there are a lot of people out there. People have sent out a lot of direct mail, but consistently sent, you know, they're going to stop eventually, right? And, and when they stop, your message is going to land there on the day that it's, that it's relevant. So we do, I would say uh, postcards and letters are probably still our number one lead source. I'd say number two right now, uh, it's probably a, t a coin toss between pay-per-click and our follow-up system. We have a, a, a pretty extensive follow-up system. It's completely automated and we only have to do like an actual follow-up physically like twice a year. And we touch them probably another 25, yeah, twice, yeah, 24 times a year. That's automated. Okay. So pay-per-click, direct mailing, and you have a few other things like, you know, property management websites. Uh, you mentioned Facebook ads really quick. What type of targeting are you doing on Facebook? Sure. So we do a couple things is that one thing that's Facebook, they're, they're pretty smart guys over there. <laughs> so when you pull that list and you send direct mail to that list, you can also upload that list into Facebook and Facebook will go ahead and they'll take certain key indicators or, or points of information and pull out down the Facebook profiles and create a custom audience. And so you can put that exact postcard that you sent to the seller via direct mail, you can put that same postcard in front of them via on Facebook ads. So it's showing up right in their newsfeed. Like, hey, I just saw the postcard. Now it's in my Facebook thing. And you can do the same thing with Google. You can go ahead and take all of those physical addresses and find the IP addresses and you can follow them all around the internet with that. So they can't get away from you. That's one thing I did not know. I did not know you can do that with Google as well. You can take the IP address. That's interesting. So targeting for Facebook and, and well, Google, it sounds like you're still doing pay-per-click and you're still reaching out to people that may not have been on a list. Um, but for Facebook specifically, it sounds like you're 
kind of reiterate, reinforcing that you're top of mind by having the people that you've already uh, sent mailers to having them see your ads on Facebook, but you're not looking for cold traffic on these, on, on, on a site like Facebook, are you? No, we're getting a little bit more targeted that way. Another strategy that we've just started, we've, we've gotten some leads from it. I don't think we've closed a deal from it, but if you create a video and let it go on Facebook and just send it to everybody in your market, you know, say choose, you know, 30 years and older to everybody, because you have such a broad audience as you've targeted inside of Facebook, the, the video views are like a couple cents each. So that's another way if you want to do like this broad search to pull in cold, cold traffic. I think, Matt, we've done a great job of giving the listeners tons, tons of ways to find motivated sellers. I mean, you've listed out so many ways and, you know, even just taking one of those and perfecting those, I think can lead you straight to success. Not, you know, I don't think that you necessarily, uh, especially starting out, you necessarily need to have, you know, a robust deal flow machine of all these, all these methods and, and, and ways of getting deals to, to kind of come to your table. But if you can kind of hone in on one, perfect that, like you said, if you can at least just kind of maybe even go to the county and kind of figure things out and just kind of get your feet wet and, and learn one method at a time, I think that you, you'll have a, a great chance of being successful. So now that we have, we have this list and we found motivated sellers, what's next? So we get a motivated motivated seller on the phone, and maybe we even go, go and meet up with the motivated seller. How does this conversation go? What type of rapport are you trying to build? And what is the outcome of that initial conversation? The conversation is a little bit different every time, but we do have a framework that we operate within. It's more of a mindset when we go to talk to a seller from that very first call. It's since we have identified someone that has a problem, we have promoted to them our solution. So when they call, we know that we've got a solution that probably fits their problem. So we, to build rapport, what we do is we align ourselves with the seller to solve their problem. We make ourselves the good cop, so to speak, and we make the market the bad cop. So we're always saying, I'd love to get you that price, even if it's completely unreasonable. I'd love to get you that price, and I absolutely will if the market will allow it. Mm. Right? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and whatever the market validates, I'm going to carve out just a small little profit for myself. I'll give you the rest, but really it's going to be up to the market. So we're constantly having that conversation where we make the market the bad guy and we're the problem solver. So that's probably the, the biggest. And then we have a certain way that we word once we've gone through the a property and we're ready to present that offer. Then we're very selective on their, yeah, very selective, very specific on the words that we choose because we always make the offer sound like it's the seller's idea. And if you can go ahead and embrace those two things where you are aligned with the seller as the good cop and the ultimate offer that they, that they accept was their idea, you know, you can knock these things down all day long. Yep. I love the points that you touch on because I mean, that's true for any and everything business. Are you making offers on the first contact? Well, yes. When we can. Like, so that conversation goes back and forth and it's a verbal exchange and that offer is being made verbally. And if they agree with it, then we go ahead, we'll put on, on contract right then and there. Okay. If they don't agree with it, what we do is we use a, a tool that, uh, we found really effective, it's probably doubled our acceptance rate, is our three option letter of intent. So we'll give them, option one will be the, uh, the offer that we just decided that is not gonna work, so at least they have that as a comparison. And we'll give them two other options with the different variables of price and terms. Okay. And, let's, and that, that's exactly, uh, I'm glad you touched on that because I was going to be my next question. So you kind of uh, jumped ahead. So that's exactly what I want to talk about. So when you're making these offers and you're, you're having these, you know, you're making one offer, but you're offering three different options. What do these options look like? Sure. We do an all cash offer. 
this is what our, the first pass is. We do an all cash offer, we do an interest only offer, and then we do a principal only offer and of, of seller financing. Number two and three are seller financed offers. And so we give them that and we give them that with the assumption that the house is free and clear. Most of the time at this point, we already know it's not or it is, but we'll just send it anyway. Because what we're really looking to do is just to show them what their options are without introducing a bunch of phrases and ideas that might scare them. I just want them to see it. And then when we follow up, it's really simple. We follow up and we just say, hey, left that three options out of intent behind. You know, what, what did you like best? Did you like option one, two, or three? And you can train anybody in your office to do that, right? So option one, two, or three. And, you know, they'll say one, two, or three. And great, should I write this up on a formal purchase agreement? I could be right over. Or they'll say none of them. And okay, great. So which one was closest? And they'll give you a number and say, great. So how far apart are we? So all with the intent of getting back into the conversation, getting back into the negotiation to see if you might have missed something, to see if there is an opportunity there. So from that initial offer to the very last one, we take 10 swings. We ask for the sale 10 times. And if we don't reach a deal there, then we just keep them in our follow-up system. So let's maybe walk through a, a scenario. It doesn't have to be a real life example. Let's maybe take a $100,000 house that has a $80,000 loan on it. And you're having that conversation with the seller and you're looking to make these three offers. You know, what do these offers sound like? Sure. So I don't say principal only because that's going to scare people away. But what I will say, like if, they, if it's a $100,000 house and they want $110,000, I'd be like, okay, then I might be able to do that. Uh, how many payments can I break that up into? So right there, I'm just taking the 110 and divide it up in equal parts, right? So that's how that conversation goes. And then um, if they say, well, I, I could take 100 payments would be fine, right? Whatever that is. But then they'll ask invariably, obviously, it's, it's the obvious, it's a hurdle, is, but I got this mortgage in place, this loan in place. How do I get around that? Say, great. So this is what we can do is if this is what the mortgage is worth, this is how much you want for the property. We'll divide the equity into the hundred payments and I'll go ahead and I'll take over payments and maintenance of this property. And we'll get you off that loan as soon as we resell or refinance the property. So that's how that would go. And what about the interest that they would collect? How did, do they ask about that? How does that conversation go? Oh, well, if you want to interest on, if you want interest, then that's a different conversation. So you're, you're not even factoring, you know, interest over time. Like it's, it's a straight, you know, you're paying down the principal for them and you're giving them excess on top of that. So there's no, there's no interest being added over time. That makes sense. That's, that's a perfect yeah. scenario. I mean, if, I, if they're 50 grand is their equity, it's like, great, I'll pay you 500 bucks a month until it's paid off. That's a brilliant plan. Okay. So we've learned how to find motivated sellers. We've learned how to talk to them. We've learned how to get around them. We've learned how to be almost omnipresent, you know, be everywhere that they are just so we're top of mind at all time. And then once we finally get somebody who get somebody on the phone, who's willing and who has a pain point that we're able to solve, then, then we're talking about their problems. We're talking about how we can better assist. We're talking about their goals and what they want. And from there, we're crafting an offer specifically catered to their goals. And exactly. from there, we're looking to see if, you know, we can possibly do a deal together. So I think we've walked through a great process for our listeners. And I think that's a great stopping point, uh, Matt, to kind of shift into kind of uh, what you're currently doing now for beginning entrepreneurs and beginning investors, looking to kind of implement some of the things that we just discussed. So maybe talk about uh, some of your platforms and, and what you're currently doing. I know you have a podcast. It's called the Epic Investing Podcast. 
Epic Real Estate, Epic Real Estate Investing yeah. Podcast. Yes. Okay, we have a podcast. Uh, I'm sure you have events coming up. So maybe talk about what you're currently doing to help up and coming entrepreneurs. Sure. So we have two ways that we help people. And one way is we just copy, they can come into our office and we'll copy and paste our business into theirs. So they're not wasting their time, you know, setting up their websites and designing business cards. Like we get them involved in real estate right away. We put them in a position where within seven to 10 days, their phone is ringing, their inbox is filling up seven to 10 days from them leaving our office. We host live events to show them how that works. But we, uh, so our next event, it's a three day event it's in Indianapolis. Ooh, I should have known the date before it's May something end of May. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, <laughs> perfect. All right, it's coming in May, and it's the uh, Epic Intensive. And we, each year, we give a different theme to our events. And this one is the Cash Flow Conclave. So it's all the secrets of creating passive income. And on day one, what we do is we go ahead and, and work with everybody in a workshop-type environment where we give them our lead machine architecture. And each person walks away with their own lead machine architecture. They walk away with their own lead machine that they get to go and create and they get to pick three to five lead generation strategies of which they like to do because we know if we don't like to do it, we're probably not going to do it very long. So consistency is important. So you got to make sure they like it. So they get to choose and they'll probably have, I don't know, maybe 50 different combinations of lead generation strategies that they can implement. So that's day one. Day two, one of my business partners, he has a very successful business in St. Louis and he comes and on day two, he teaches people how to talk to sellers. So very much you know, in the way that I had shared with you earlier, how you create that rapport, how you present your price in terms and how you actually get the contract signed. And so that's day two. And then day three, what we do is we work on everybody's rat race escape plan. So everybody will walk away with an actionable list of items, a list of to do's that they can do to start their escape from the rat race. So those are the three days. And if they want additional help beyond that, then we show them how to get it there. But uh, everyone walks away with, with those three things at least. I love that. I love that. And that sounds like an amazing, amazing event to definitely uh, attend. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for sure, Matt. So let's maybe talk about, you know, kind of rounding out uh, our main se- segments. Let's talk about your current situation, what you do on a daily, uh, day-to-day basis. Your business has grown mag- magnificently since you've, you've worked at a grocery store. So what do you currently do? What is your current focus? Obviously, you're a real estate investor, but within this realm, what does your day-to-day look like? Sure. Yeah, I, I come in in the morning. Gosh, we hold our meetings on Monday. And we do a lot of maintenance on Mondays, get ready for the week. Uh, for the week, We focus like Tuesdays on marketing, Wednesdays on responding to calls, Thursday on submitting offers. And we just kind of do that cycle over and over again. Got a number of different team members that help me do all of that. And uh, we also host the podcast. So we're up to three days a week now. We're going to four days a week very shortly. So there's some work and effort there. We also run a fund. So for accredited investors that are looking to diversify or expand their portfolio, they can actually invest in our real estate investing operation. So we run the fund as well. We're talking about, you know, lifestyle design on this, on this podcast. And I know that you have a great lifestyle design. So be able to kind of spend as much time with your family, your friends, do the things that you love, travel as much as possible. I kind of want you to expand on that so the listeners know what to look forward to when, when it mm-hmm. comes to real estate investing and when it comes to creating cash flow rather than, uh, you know, working, working for money all your life. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to a place where I enjoy what I do right now is pretty close to as much as I loved music. And my big aspiration is just constant growth. If I can stand right here today and look back a year from now, if I'm further along today than I was then, I'm happy. That satisfies me. And so with that in mind, I work a lot. I'm always working. We're entrepreneurs, right? We, the brain never really turns off. But I time block my, my time with my family. I do the best I can not to work on the weekends at all. 
And then uh, Wednesday afternoons, I coach baseball. Tuesday afternoons, I take my son to karate practice. So, and then, you know, I'm typically home by 6, 6.30 at night and, you know, good old TV time there. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? My favorite book, I think The Slight Edge. There's a few of them. Uh, Awaken the Giant Within transformed my life. And I've read it several times and it's been a different book every time I've read it. But I think The Slight Edge is what made everything really click for me of, of how success is created and results are produced. I think whatever it is that you aspire to do, like we talked about a little earlier, whether it's an online business or a, you know, whatever business it may be, it's growing tomatoes is going to be your hobby. The slight edge can complement that. So you're more successful in whatever it is that you aspire to do. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or a tool. Got it. Yeah, my favorite app right now, and it has been for a while, is Voxer. It okay. works like a walkie-talkie and you can send recorded messages back and forth. And I deal with my team, work with my team that way. And I work with all of my clients that way. It's just so much better than typing. It's so much better than even you know, you do the voice command stuff and you got to go back and correct words and stuff like that. Even that's a pain in the butt. But this is just sends an audio message, just like a text message. And that's been a huge time saver. That sounds like a time saver. So I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Uh, what do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? What I like most. And no one tells me what to do. You know, I think that's probably it is that I get to be responsible 100% for my results, whether they're good or bad. You know, I obviously have my, my family that depends on me but I don't have anybody to answer to. And that's what I like most about it. Love it, love it, love it. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I didn't have a lot of money when I got started. So the sacrifice was really getting dirty in the trenches in the real with regard to, you know, there's two ways that you can really create business. You can go out and buy business by buying leads and paying for marketing and advertising. That's the fast way to do it. Or you can go out and earn your business by building relationships. And it's a slow way to do it, but it's actually what will take you far. So I think sacrificing, and I really didn't have a choice, so I don't know if it was a sacrifice or not. But I just realized that, hey, if this is to be, it's up to me. I got to go out and do it. And I can't let money be my excuse. And so there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in, in my history. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Who was essential to my growth before the millions? I got to give a lot of credit to mom. She supported whatever I did. The lady at the grocery store? <laughs> the lady at the grocery store was certainly an inspiration. I think uh, certainly Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that book just transformed my entire mentality. So it, it established a mindset. You know, I've been very intentional about creating my environments along the way, making sure that I get close to people that are actually doing uh, what they say they are doing and are getting the results that I want and getting close to them, being of service to them. So there's a number of people and there's so many positive ramifications that come from that type of approach to building a business. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? It's an easy question and it's an easy answer and a lot of people aren't gonna wanna hear it. You just don't want it bad enough, it's that you know what to do. Everyone knows what to do. It's doing what you know is the problem. And if you don't go out and do it, it's because you'd rather be doing something else. You want something else more than what you want or what you think you want. And when you get to that point, realizing that, wow, I would really rather watch The Bachelor tonight than work on my passive income. Once you can come to that realization, and it sounds ludicrous, right? But those are the choices that people make every single day. 
So I would say the reason they're stuck is they just don't want it bad enough. And I'm sorry if it hurts, but it's the truth because we all get exactly what we want. And we are a total culmination of all the decisions that we've made up to this point. That's why we're here. And so, for example, when you have, well, think about that first date you went on and you were really excited about that date. You moved mountains to go get your haircut. You moved mountains to go get the total of the cleaners. You moved mountains to go get your car washed. You moved mountains to make sure you had enough money to, so you didn't look like a fool on that date. Like you went all out and nothing else mattered because that date was really important to you. So you got to treat your, your pursuit of financial freedom like that date. Love it. Love it. Well, Matt, again, this has been spectacular. I've gotten so much value from you. I know, I know the listeners have as well. If any of them want to reach out to you, learn a little bit more about you, where can they find all your information? Sure. So if you're listening to us right now, you know how to find a podcast. So you can go to Epic Real Estate Investing and you can even put a dot com at the end of that. and It'll open up the app in iTunes right to the podcast. So EpicRealEstateInvesting.com. And if you want to come out and join me at the live event in Indianapolis at the end of May, you can go to EpicIntensive.com. EpicIntensive.com. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Matt, this has been amazing. And hopefully we'll get you back on the show soon for part two. Absolutely. Let's do it. 